welcome to the third episode of the Significant Figures podcast. I am your co-host this evening. My name is Diana Popplesonell, and I am the CEO and co-founder of STEMI. Hi, I'm Catherine. I am a senior at Lehigh School, and I am the COO and co-founder of STEMI. Today, we will be interviewing Janusz Pritzel, the co-founder and CEO of Polygens, an edtech company focused on providing project-based learning and research opportunities to intellectually driven and curious students. He earned his BS degree in physics and philosophy from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, his master's in applied mathematics at the University of Cambridge, and his PhD in theoretical physics from MIT. Our first question for you is what inspired you to pursue physics? Did you turn away or consider any other subjects in your career pathway? First of all, um, hi everyone, great to be here. And um, in relation to your question, in high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to study. And I was hesitating whether I should choose history, philosophy, physics, or economics. And I happened to have a really good high school teacher called uh, Mr. Boton Molnar, who really had a huge uh, influence on me. He kind of gave us glimpses of advanced topics in physics about quantum mechanics, Einstein's theory of relativity, cosmology, how the universe has evolved, and that really caught my interest. And before the final year of high school, I was a rising senior, I decided I'd just pivot completely and just focus on physics. So that's how it happened. Thank you for sharing that experience. Um, What extracurriculars in your high school and undergraduate career encouraged you to pursue physics? So um, there was an astronomy club in my high school and we went outside, we were looking at the sky through telescopes and we were really trying to understand nature as much as uh, possible. And uh, these experiences really kind of made me super curious about nature. I, I knew that there was a lot more to be understood and I kind of had this philosophical interest in understanding nature at the smallest levels, at the microscopic level, as well as the at the biggest scales, the scale of the universe. And having these inspiring teachers, especially my physics teacher, whom, whom I mentioned, as well as my mathematics teacher, um, her name is uh, Erika Patinikovac, and these were excellent teachers. They really inspired me to pursue this and explore what I thought were the mysteries of the universe. Oh, thank you so much for your insight. Um, so why did you choose uni- the University of St. Andrews specifically for your undergraduate studies? And how was your experience there academically and um, what was the culture like? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I, I was interested both in physics, but also in the more philosophical aspects of um, what it leads on to, questions about ex- univer- the universe and um, the fundamental building blocks of nature. So I wanted to do both physics and philosophy. And at the time, I found this course at the University of St. Andrews, which was called Logic, Philosophy of Science and Physics. And I was super intrigued. I felt that even though I had a strong interest in physics, I also wanted to study philosophy so I can tie everything together into a unified intellectual whole. So that's why I figured I'd go and study there because they had this special course. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I was a high school student in Budapest, Hungary at the time. And um, I felt like this was a good opportunity. So I sent off my application together with some other schools, including universities in Hungary. And 
I was accepted, so decided to kind of leave my home country and go and study abroad. That's really cool. So more on that,、um, how would you compare the culture of the European educational institutions you attended compared to those in America? And would you recommend high schoolers in the U.S. to go to Europe for college? So I think it it depends on what sort of person you are. So in Europe, I don't know if、um, everyone knows this, but when you go to school after high school, when you go to college,、um, you have to pick right away what major. You want to have so you you might be 17 years old, and you have to make up your mind whether you want to study physics, or medicine, or law, or chemistry, literature, and so forth. And it's really hard to pivot later on.、Um, so if you know exactly what you want to get into when you are say 17 or 18, it might make sense to go to Europe. You can. Suppose you know you want to be a doctor. You don't have to first do like a four-year college degree in biology and then apply to medical school. You can just straight head into medicine and immediately devote all your attention, energy, and time to becoming a doctor. And for some people, that's a very attractive option. Obviously, if you want to live in the U.S. and practice medicine, then going abroad and get a, getting a medical degree may not be the best idea. But Um, this applies to everything, guys.、Yeah. So when I got to Scotland, I was right away able to just jump in and focus on these two、um, these two fields, physics and philosophy. And for me, that was incredibly satisfying because I had all these big questions about how everything ties together, including logic and mathematics and physics and philosophy and、um, and so forth. And I was able to take courses that satisfied my intellectual curios curiosity and answer questions I had. Oh, it's really good to know. I'm debating between Europe and America for college.、Um, so, more on the European colleges. How is the culture like at Cambridge and、um, St Andrews? It was very well organized. So everything was、um, centered around classes, and、um, the, the classes are in, generally very broad. So.、Um, Like they cover every topic, and well, not every topic, but a lot of topics that obviously you can only cover if you have the bandwidth to just focus on one or two subjects. And in general, professors were very helpful, teaching focused, especially in St Andrews. And、um, in Cambridge, there was this huge community of people who came together from all over the world just to study mathematics.、Um, At, at the course I did, it's called Math,、uh, Part Three of the Mathematics Tripus. It's、uh, hundreds of years old. It's one of the oldest courses at Cambridge. It's one of the, it's the course that Newton and Maxwell and some of the most famous physicists in the world took hundreds of years ago. So it's a, it's a really special institution, and and especially this course was、um, a remarkable course to take. Um, but ultimately, everything was just focused on gathering more knowledge and、um, making sure that you have the right techniques、um, and、uh, you can solve the problems you need.、Um, so that that's like a general overview. I, I also in St Andrews, I was extremely fortunate because I was able to start research as an undergraduate.、Um, I started working for a professor called Ulf Leonhardt. Who was、um, one of the inventors of the theory of invisibility cloaking? 
which is um, you know a concept most people know from Harry Potter and like science fiction. But in two two thousand and six, two professors, both of them、um, working in Britain at the time, came up with ideas about how you could potentially make light waves go around objects and thereby make them invisible. So.、Um, I was able to do both research at St Andrews under the hands of Wolf Leonhardt. I was able to get a very broad exposure to the fields I was interested in. So for me, overall, this、uh, atmosphere and and kind of learning environment was really helpful. Sorry about that.、Um... So, in addition to your courses there, did you have any like student organizations you were a part of? Any extracurriculars? Yes. So, I in St Andrews in particular, I was part of the philosophy club, which was inviting some of the, you know, best known and most famous speakers from around the world. I was also part of the physics and science club that was inviting Nobel laureates and some of the most preeminent scientists. And obviously, having the chance to interact with the people who are at the very top of their field was a very inspiring experience. And I kind of continued on that path. So when I went to Cambridge, I also joined the.、Uh, I was at Trinity College, which is、um, the college perhaps best known for mathematics and physics. Actually, both.、Um, Isaac Newton and James Clerk Maxwell were at Trinity College when they were in Cambridge, and it has like this very historic science club that has the reputation to invite pretty much any speaker they want. So we had Michael Atia, who unfortunately passed up, passed away recently, who is one of the most famous mathematicians of the 20th century, Fields Medal winner. We had John Penry, who I mentioned was well, he was the co-inventor of invisibility cloaking. Um, we had Nobel laureates. Obviously, Stephen Hawking was in Cambridge at the time. So you know, being in an environment where you are surrounded by people like that, it's it's very it leaves a mark on you, and it it kind of sets your sights at higher things, and and is really inspiring. Well, that's really cool. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences in Europe. Going back to America, how was your experience as a student at MIT and Harvard in regards to the culture and academics? It's、uh, well, first of all, I, it was a very special experience, and、um, I feel for, fortunate to have kind of、um, spent so many years at, at these wonderful institutions. So I went to MIT、um, when I was considering. Where I should do my PhD, I was actually debating whether I should stay in Europe.、Um, I had a, I received a fellowship、uh, to stay in Cambridge and do my PhD there at the Cavendish Laboratory, which is,、uh, you know, that's where the atoms were discovered, and、um, uh, obviously it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful place to do research、um, or kind of come over the Atlantic and start. Work at MIT, and、um, I kind of flew over to make up my mind. I talked to professors at Princeton, Yale, and Boston,、um, and and kind of tried to decide where I should continue my work. And what I really understood that here in the U.S., PhDs are much longer. You are given more of a chance to explore your interest, and also.、Um, 
I was very much attracted by this pragmatic mentality that I met in Boston, which is like very application-focused science and close connection to industry. Um, and I guess just um, a, a somewhat less theoretical and abstract approach. So I came over, started my work. I eventually decided to go to Boston and I was struck just how pragmatic, how um, application focused and, and, and innovation centered uh, research was at MIT, which for me was very, very attractive at the time. And, you know, I, I could like get into more details, but I'll pause here so you can ask questions. What has been your favorite research project? So I, I guess um, during over 10 years of doing academic research, uh, there were two major projects that I found uh, particularly intriguing. So the first one was on the theory of invisibility cloaking, which I had referred to earlier. And it's actually a very simple concept. Um, the, fun, the, the main insight is that um, in order to make something invisible, you have to make sure that light rays just never bounce off of that object. So um, what you need to do is kind of surround, an, let's say you want to hide an apple, you will want to surround it with a cloak. It's usually a rigid object. It's not like the cloak you see in the Harry Potter movies that can really guide the light rays around the object and restore their original direction. So light appears to have propagated through empty space. And when light rays reach your eye, you won't be seeing the object, but what's behind the object. And that's like a very simple concept. Obviously, it's complicated engineering task to realize it. But this is what those two physicists, John Pendry and Ulf Leonhardt, realized um, in 2006. And in Scotland, I was very fortunate to be able to do uh, over a year's worth of research on this topic and publish three papers, um, including some that were um, that made some advances in the field and making sure that these cloaks are easier to realize in practice. So that was a wonderfully fun project. It's, it's great because, you know, you just talk to people and they understand that at least the concept of what you are doing, it's not like magnetic spins rotating in like a semiconductors electric field, right? Like I could say a few words that wouldn't necessarily make sense to people who are not physicists, but invisibility cloaking, everybody was able to appreciate that. And the um, other big research field that I got into was kind of quantum information, quantum computing and quantum optics, which was at MIT and then later at Harvard. And that's like much more abstract and complicated field, much more difficult to talk about to people who don't have the background. But probably as you read the news, you hear about quantum computers coming of age and like how this is an exciting field to be in. And indeed, like while I was spending time at MIT and then Harvard, it's, it's just suddenly became the center of attention all around the world. And suddenly you have this knowledge and expertise that people are keen to make use of and people ask you questions and the work you do gets a lot of citations and a lot of attention in the academic community. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to work on something that's very timely in research. That sounds really fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, we're going to transition a little bit. Um, what inspired you to co-found Polygence and how would you describe your job as a CEO of the company? So the inspiration came from um, 
being on the Stanford campus and meeting other like-minded people, in particular my co-founder Jin Chao, who some of you, Diana and Catherine, you know, um, and just the realization that we have been so fortunate to have been helped by mentors along the way of, you know, during our academic careers, and that it's a bit of a network problem. You have to meet the right people. You have to talk to the right people and be mentored by the right researchers and academics to kind of have a really good chance at a stellar academic career. And some people are not so fortunate. They may not be born at the right zip codes or you know, been, they may not be living at the right zip codes. They may uh, be in foreign countries. And we were thinking about ways of democratizing access to um, academic mentorship. And we also both love teaching at MIT. I was a teaching fellow for five semesters um, and uh, we loved mentorship. And we just took that love and inspiration and turned it into a company. That's how I would summarize it. And um, regarding your second question, um, being the CEO is actually a very different job from being a researcher, what, what I did previously. Previously, I would spend my days uh, sitting in an office, thinking, um, running simulations, talking to people every now and then, but not too much of the time because you need time to just think and um, do work. Whereas as a CEO, your job is really to talk to a lot of people, um, whether it's your employees, it could be developers or people helping with operations or partners who are working with you to kind of um, bring this academic opportunity to students. Um, you are dealing with people all the time and um, it's all about building relationships and making sure you understand other people's needs and kind of um, translate that into a service that you are able to offer that helps students. So in our case, obviously, we are pairing academic mentors with motivated and intellectually driven high schoolers. And while this is a simple concept in practice, it's a very diverse problem to solve because some students want to do computational biology. Some of them are interested in 20th century fashion history. And, you know, we are bringing together these wonderful academics from some of the top research institutions of the world, um, many of them in the US, some of them in the UK, and we kind of match students and then focus on making sure that the projects are successful, which is, you know, since research does is not something that can be done by a cookie, cookie cutter, there are a lot of DS to figure out. And this is what we specialize on, making sure that students can have um, meaningful experiences and successful projects. Do you see yourself returning to scientific research in the future or? That's a very good question. Right now, um, I have to say I find what I do extremely meaningful, um, especially because students, I, I see that students are benefiting from um, this program and the work we do. And this is an incredibly satisfying thing. Um, at the same time, um, as you kind of referred to in your question, I'm an academic and researcher by training. So um, there is the option of eventually returning to teaching and um, academia. And um, I, I can see myself, I think maybe 10, 20 years from now, I, I could imagine myself going back to 
research and teaching. And um, I can see how at that point, that will be the right thing for me to do. Right now, the right thing for me to do is focus, is, is to focus on this company um, and just take it forward. And um, it's been a wonderful experience. So right now I'm not thinking about switching. Thank you so much for sharing with us experiences about your career. Um, what advice do you have for high school students who are interested in pursuing physics? So, I think my first advice is just do it. Um, many people are daunted by physics. They have weird concepts about how you have to be born with certain skills to do physics and Sometimes they look at others and say, oh, that person is much more gifted than I am. Why should I even pursue physics? And I completely want people to reject that attitude. Um, when I decided to do physics in high school, I had very little background and have shown very little promise um, up to that date. Um, but I was just genuinely motivated and curious and was willing to put in a lot of effort. And that's all that mattered eventually. Um, I didn't do the physics international Olympiad. Many of you know something that a lot of people once I got to these institution, uh, many people around me ended up doing. And and obviously you know that's just when you think about that, like the amount of preparation it takes to kind of get into that. You are like, oh my god, how can I ever catch up? And that sort of attitude. But the reality is that. Over the course of 10 years, I've seen so many of these, you know, early young physicists who seemed so promising, like leave the field and never deliver on their promise. And eventually the people who really ended up being able to do high impact, meaningful research were not those people who were like, who had glorious high school careers, but those who were willing to put in the effort year after year and get better every day at what they were doing. And, um, and kind of find genuine joy in doing physics. So to summarize, I think it's incredibly important that if you're interested in physics, you don't let anyone, anyone dissuade you from doing it and just do it. Just get into it and, and, and keep going because you'll, you'll find that you, you go much further than you ever imagined. And um, yeah, I, I mean, that's, you know, I, I could keep going, but uh, maybe I'll, I'll let you. What's their second question? Oh, yeah, but you can definitely keep going if you have more advice. We're, we're all yours. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I guess that's one of the advice. And the other one is that physics is not what most people think it is. So in high school, you think that physics is about solving these smallish problems, which might take half an hour, one hour, two hours. But in reality, physics is extremely hard. And the real questions are questions that you don't solve in like half an hour or one hour. And in fact, early on, high schools test you for a very specific ability, which is like being able to solve problems in a very short amount of time. But physics couldn't be more different. Real physics problems take months or sometimes years to solve. So it totally doesn't matter whether you are the kind of person who can solve these problems in like 20 minutes or you are the one who is struggling and runs out of time on every physics test and, you know, um, just feels like you are a failure in physics. It's all about focus and depth of thought. 
So my other advice is just to kind of give it real time and real effort and be and don't be daunted by it being challenging. Physics is supposed to be challenging. Sometimes, you know, you just you're you are just stuck and having to spend hours or sometimes days thinking about the problem is is a natural thing even though most people would find it incredibly frustrating because we are not trained like that right in high school you just do one thing after the other you have homework and the other homework and the test but like if you want to excel in physics you have to take a step back become much more patient and have the perspective of of having to invest a sustained effort into becoming a good physicist and solving problems Oh, that's really great insight. Um, I was also wondering if you have any wisdom for aspiring entrepreneurs, anyone who wants to be a CEO like yourself? Well, that's actually a very interesting question. I, you know, physics is like a pretty um, formal field in the sense that there is a clear path. You have to first do a college degree, then maybe or maybe not a master's and then a PhD. And you don't see many, many people skip that, right? You don't see a whole lot of physicists uh, running around without PhDs. On the other hand, entrepreneurship is a much more diverse field. Like there's so many different paths to entrepreneurship. And um, I think some people write books about entrepreneurship and how you should do this or that. But I think uh, everyone has their own path and it's important to recognize that. So I think it's it's more about much less tangible things that that I think turn someone into an entrepreneur. And there are a few pillars of that. I think one of them um, is that it's very good to understand something really well. Um, entrepreneurship is really centered around ideas that can hopefully change uh, an important part of life for, for a specific um, group of people or, you know, potentially change the world. Um, and good ideas are really hard to come by especially when you really want to think about them if you sit down like okay i'm going to start a company um let me think what the idea should be chances are you will only think of ideas that many many other people have already thought of right so the best ideas that can really start your entrepreneurial career are those that come organically to you meaning that you're either you really understand tennis and you have a problem that frustrates you about like how every time you want to play tennis it's hard to find a, find a partner or you know you are um, thinking about storage how you how to store your stuff and how like storage uh, warehouses have a poor software you have to have a special insight based on which you can build a company and in order to have a special insight, it's really good to understand one field particularly well. So my entrepreneurial career started not by focusing on entrepreneurship, but focusing on physics, physics, academic research, mentorship, teaching, understanding the, you know, fine details of this field. And even like five years ago, I had no idea that this is something that could lead on to entrepreneurship. And so my advice to be kind of much more concrete is to follow your passion, study whatever you want. I mean, it could be literally dancing or, um, you know, chemistry or 
Um, maybe it could be somewhat related to business, but don't worry about the actual details because ultimately, if you really understand something well, you'll begin to see things that other people don't see. Inefficiencies, stupid things that people have to do to achieve a task. And that's when there's an opportunity. You suddenly have the insight. This is a great idea. People haven't solved it. Let's go and solve it. And then, you know, the entrepreneurial journey begins and it's all about just, just execution and, um, and I guess network as well. And, um, and ultimately you just learn on the job. There is no training to be a CEO. There is no training to be an entrepreneur. You just have to learn it on the fly. Um, the only kind of qualification I'll add is that I think network is really important and um, it's relationships are built over over time. So one way you can really proactively prepare for a career in, uh, well, to be an entrepreneur is just to meet a lot of people, talk to a lot of people, nurture those connections and, and just have an extensive network on which you can rely whether it comes to just bouncing off your ideas or further introductions, uh, getting to the right people. I mean, eventually it's a very complicated game involving finding investors, you know, doing legal stuff, accounting, hiring, whatever. So you need to have some kind of access to people who have that expertise, but it, you don't have to have that expertise yourself. You can just jump into it and find people who can help you with that. Thank you so much for your insight and advice. We were also wondering what your job is like as CEO on a daily basis. Yeah, so we are a technology company. Um, we have an online platform through which we connect. I mean, at this stage, we have hundreds and hundreds of mentors and students and projects. And obviously, um, every project is special, but it also has a certain life cycle. So. We have this platform that takes care of not only matching students and mentors, but also like guiding their projects. So a large part of what I do is focused on technology, technology development. Um, we have uh, developers who are working on the product. And um, given that I have uh, a technical background, I am in charge of the technology development. Jen is taking is is the CEO, so she's in, in charge of operations. So a lot of my time is actually focused on understanding, okay, what's the next feature? What what are the bugs that we need to um, take care of? Uh, what's like a higher level vision for where this product should be heading? Um, and I also still write code, actually. I, I started, initially I, I coded the entire platform and then once we had, things were kind of um, gaining traction, we brought brought in additional employees. So um, I, and, and I still write quite a bit of code because um, sometimes it's easiest just to have an idea and translate it um, to something specific. And, and by the way, if, if you're interested in entrepreneurship and like technology, um, it's good to learn coding. And, and again, just as with physics, my advice is just to get into it because it's actually much more accessible than most people realize. So I still, um, so technology is a huge part of what I do. Also like um, I'm, I'm in charge of the kind of business aspects, uh, which is sometimes very, you know, um, not so glorious tasks like accounting and, and legal work and liaising with investors and, and people who um, are thinking about the financial health of our company. And you have to kind of then start understanding the business details, something I never had to do as a physicist, obviously. And um, 
and spend time crunching numbers. So it's it's a pretty wide range of things. In addition to what I mentioned earlier, talking to a lot of people,、um, and every day is different. And I guess one thing that I find particularly interesting is that my role seems to be evolving every three to four weeks. So.、Um, Initially, my job was almost entirely focused on like technology development, coding,、uh, coding the platform. Then it evolved to okay. Now we also have to find students. I mean, Jen did a big part of that because she has been in charge of operations. And then you know, gradually, now you have to start learning how to hire people and interview them, then bringing bring them on board and sign agreements, and then sign agreements with partners, and then you learn things about legal. So every month. My job looks actually pretty different from the previous one. Ah,、oh, super great to to hear about your job.、Um, we were also wondering. You mentioned that you had more to discuss about your PhD research, and so if、um, you wanted to share any more details about that, any experiences. Yeah. So my PhD work、um, was focused on. So-called topological quantum optics, and I think there are probably like two or three words out of those three that most people don't know about. So I guess I'll say、um, that quantum mechanics is really the theory that governs the microscopic world. It was actually discovered in the early 20th century, in the 1920s, and since then. Quantum mechanics has turned out to be the single most precise theory of nature ever discovered.、Um, it has withstood the test of time.、Um, it's, it's an incredibly、um, useful way of describing the world, and、um, but it's also very abstract. It has a lot of counterintuitive aspects, but also a lot of potential. And the long-term goal of my PhD work was to harness these mysterious.、Um, Physical phenomena in quantum mechanics to build quantum computers, but that's a very difficult task. Actually, much more difficult than the media coverage of quantum computing would、uh, kind of make you understand. And、um, and so you have to solve lots of tiny, tiny details along the way. And my PhD in particular was like focused on a tiny. Pocket of like one particular branch of trying to solve this problem. There are like thousands or tens of thousands of people around the world working to solve this problem. So any work you do is probably just a little baby step forward, but it's it's still extremely meaningful. So my work in particular was trying to address the challenge that quantum systems are extremely fragile, meaning that、um, if you want to build an experiment and you set up a physical system, any si- little Perturbation, any any little disturbance will like destroy, can destroy your system, and you have to go to great lengths to kind of protect the system from these disturbances and make sure that the system can function for a sustained period of time and kind of do the quantum mechanics magic that we need to build quantum computers, and that's hard. And my work was using topology, which is like a branch of mathematics, to make these systems much more robust. Meaning that even if there is a disturbance, it doesn't quite destroy the system. It makes the system able to withstand those kind of outside interference and keep running and keep delivering value. If it's you know a quantum system that you are trying to use for, say, a computation or calculation. 
So that's the first word of topological quantum optics. I have already explained quantum. And the third word is optics, which most of you have a pretty good idea about. So optics is everything that governs light, visible, the visible range of the electromagnetic spectrum. I mean, microwaves are also electromagnetic waves, but we don't see them. But we do see light waves. waves. And um, within this huge effort to make quantum computers and quantum information processing systems using light photons for um, communication is one of the promising um, directions. And my work was also in, in, in that line of research. And um, photons, and, and so my work was focused on how we can use photons as messengers of information in a quantum system how photons hop from atom to atom, from quantum system to quantum system, and kind of relay whatever information we want to relay. Um, and, you know, I could get into the details, but maybe I'll just um, say that we all know that photons are excellent communicators of the information, because that's how, you know, people have been sending signals since like the Stone Age, right? Because photons that travel really far, whereas say sound waves are much worse communicators of um, in information um, and so um, it, it's true in quantum mechanics as well that photons are very very um, um, good messengers and they are, they are typically not lost when they are traveling from point A to point B and this helps us build robust efficient systems using optical photons and so you know that's my thesis work topological so robust quantum optical systems that help you build a quantum system for information processing awesome i just want to add really quick we actually had a lecture about quantum computers um you were mentioning that term earlier um at stem world so if any of our listeners are interested in learning more about that you can check out our youtube um, it's on our homepage pretty accessible um so yeah and then in terms of um janosh's research you know, i hope you guys really enjoyed learning about that janosh do you have any last uh thoughts any words of wisdom that you wanted to share i think i have kind of shared it but i'll reiterate that i think most people underestimate how important to really focus on your passion um and go forward with that um, and um, because many people take a short view of what takes you where. So suppose you're interested in business. Some people think, oh, let me just major in business, right? But in my experience, the world is much more nuanced and complicated. And what takes you really, really far is becoming an expert in one thing and becoming a real expert, meaning that you're better than others and you dig deeper than others. So that's my advice. Just really give yourself the time and space to um, understand something better than anybody else in the world. And I think if you do that, that will open you doors that you can't even imagine right now. Uh, thank you so much. I hope everyone really enjoyed listening about some really fascinating topics. You know, we see invisibility cloaks in Harry Potter. Did you ever imagine that you would be able to learn about something like that with physics? Um, so thank you again so much, Janosh, um, for all of your insight. And we hope that all of our listeners really enjoyed your journey today. 
Well, thank you so much for having me here today. It was a great pleasure, and thank you for the great questions. Thank you.